Warning, you are about to enter a world populated by the most appalling music ever made. Welcome to the search for the worst album of all time. This is Broken Records. But I hadn't been forgotten, I Joe. I'd been married a long time ago. Saint Bango. <laughs> a girl with kaleidoscope eyes. <laughs> You're beautiful. Hey, hey, I wanna be a rock star. Hello, apologies for the delay, and welcome to episode 46 of Broken Records, a new solo podcast from the Riot Act Network with me, Stephen Hill, and my good friend, Renfrey Deadman, who is joining me. Um, slightly hungover, slightly tired, and having just got back from the 80 Trees Festival mm. over the weekend, which we mm. will be talking about on our usual granddaddy podcast riot act which you can hear where me and renfrey talk about all the alternative music of the week on a friday this of mm. course is not that quickly though renfrey because jesus we have to say something fucking positive on a podcast don't we surely did you have a nice time yes or uh, no i had an absolutely wonderful time but i'll go into it probably um when we do the weekly show oh i'm already noticing how lower a register my voice is in so um yes uh, there were a few casualties along the way but yeah mm. i'm all right i'm tired <laughs> that's good that will be a positive podcast this is the opposite of that podcast and this is why we're late because renfrey's away at the weekend we didn't get a chance we, we, my we apologies that was bad scheduling on my part and i didn't think about yeah, it so yeah my we haven't been we haven't been putting this off although i don't think either of us really <laughs> want to do it to be perfectly honest um this is where we which is where we search for the worst album ever made we have a list we have a hat the hat full of shit which is compiled of records which are in the hat due to a myriad of different reasons it might be the critical reception it might be the commercial performance it might be the members of the band having some kind of regret uh it might be the fans talking shit about it there are all kinds of things that could get it into the hat it could be that the cover isn't very good (laughs) (laughs) whoever thought that could get an album into the hat but hey here we are um so yes uh yeah it really is but um there are loads of different reasons why we might pick an album that goes into the hat full of shit 45 of them have already been taken out of the hat and are compiled in a list which i will bring to you in a second but before i do i should tell you what we're going to be talking about this week we are going to be talking about love beach by emerson lake and palmer the seventh studio album from the uk prog rock Supergroup released on the 18th of november 1978 uh, as i said before we get into the record i will just run through not the entirety of the the, the the top 45 but the flop 20 the 20 worst records that we have covered in descending order thus far it starts like this the self-titled album by Razorlight, famous first words by viva brother lincoln park with one more light megadeth super collider the truth is by theory of a dead man slick dogs and ponies by with the 14th the cosmos rocks by queen and paul rogers the united nations of sound by richard ashcroft the original soundtrack to sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band the movie eogan quig by eogan quig which actually um someone tweeted me in the week and was like did you nick that off of harry hill because there's a clip on harry hill's tv oh, burp yes, where he calls this. him eogan mm. and i was like i might have done mm. i don't remember i've always just called him eogan no. and then i was like i wonder where that came from i mean firstly for reading it uh, and then secondly maybe maybe from harry hill so yes my namesake the the, th- the third most funny hill after me and benny you th- you, th- <laughs> you think harry hill's less funny than you do steve <laughs> well benny hill would be benny hill would be the one that i would go to which is ridiculous out of that harry hill's no harry hill is the funniest hill i think i th- uh, you know what you know what i'm not just saying this i do think you're funnier than benny hill so there we yes go. <clears throat> yes i don't think you're yes. as fun. I, I mean harry hill's very good isn't he he's harry hill is fucking brilliant yeah he's very good did you did you do a show with him once or am i making that up you're making that oh, up. Sorry. didn't do one with harry hill My bad. No, no, no. 
Uh, I did do lots of shows with lots of very, very famous and uh, successful <laughs> comedians, by the way. That was not but meant Harry to be Hill... a link for you <laughs> yeah, to but, go into but, your but... ex-comedy life. <laughs> <laughs> but Harry Hill was was not one of them. Okay. Neither was Benny Hill. Um, Brass Eye is good as well, by the way, just because we always mention it on this show. Anyway, Eogan Quigg's self-titled uh, Graveyard Classics Volume 2 by Six Feet Under, Blood, Sweat and Towers by Towers of London, Hard to Swallow by Vanilla Ice, Angelic to the Core by Corey Feldman, Philosophy of the World by The Shags, Total Xanax by little zan i nearly called him little little ban then which <laughs> it should be fucking banned but um blood on the dance floor with bad blood methods of mayhem by methods of mayhem i actually re-listened to a bit of methods of mayhem because i've just done a, a feature for metal hammer on the 20 best songs by the worst rap metal bands so actually i was like well this is this is my area of expertise in fact <laughs> what did you put <laughs> um well, I, I put in uh, Anger Management by Methods of Mayhem, which I actually do think, I don't think it's a good song particularly, but I think it's it's kind of catchy and I don't hate it. I can't even remember. It's got it. a big, it's the one that goes, I don't deny I'm in the public eye. There's a 24-7 being watched by a spy. Makes me wonder why we don't live our own lives. Sounds like you're a big... They're not old. news reporters. But they're full of bullshit and lies. Leave them alone. Fuck, 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 fuck it. Um, it's that one uh, anyway the concerto in true minor by the true symphonic orchestra I should probably do an impression of them since I've just done efforts to make them <laughs> that's it uh, Uncle Cracker double wide at number two and Jesus hell unbreakable unmovable steadfast in its position at number one still forever I think broken side I'm not a fan but the kids like it except they don't um, anyway, Will, Emerson, Lake and Palmer's Love Beach, Topple, Broken Side. No, no. definitely not. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, it, it, it can't. Although, getting into it straight away, I don't think this will be that much of a shock to people, particularly people who listened last week when we pulled this out of the hat and we both went, oh, no. <laughs> but um, I'm really not that bothered by a lot of mid 70s prog rock mm. and that is what emerson lake and palmer are they are the sort of band to my mind that made the sex pistols and the entire punk explosion so essential every time i listen to it twee overwrought bloated meaningless nonsense that is to my mind totally unlistenable and almost totally unrelatable remfrey mm. uh your thoughts on that school of bands and ELP in general? I didn't have a massive kind of like, so I'm vaguely aware of Emerson, Lake and Palmer stuff. I think my mum was a bit of a fan, actually, which was something I didn't know until after she passed, actually. But um, I was going through a vinyl collection and, and there's like, she had like two or three Emerson, Lake and Palmer albums. So she obviously saw something in it. I'm not sure what. Um yeah, it, I think prog by that point had become incredibly synthy and incredibly sort of, um, I think there was a lot of science fiction type stuff going around. This is less science fiction and more kind of um, sexy, sexy, isn't it? <laughs> mm, yeah, I mean, this, 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 like we will get into it in a little bit, but this is the first time apparently where they didn't write songs about like dragons and you know yeah. sort of fantasy and all that shit yeah so yeah. uh this is yeah. like the... i mean i just said totally unrelatable well maybe they tried to be a little bit more relatable on this album which is something that prog fans don't like isn't it but okay so your mum was in terms of lake and palmer you, you believe oh, i believe i believe so yeah we never spoke about it but um yeah as well, i said i wouldn't it wouldn't want to admit to something like that <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um but um uh but yes i did find those records when i was last at her place so yeah mm, there you go mm. Which is weird, right? Because I've spoken before about how much I like Pink Floyd, Mm. particularly that period of Pink Floyd. There's something just so much (sighs) better. Just better. Just better than Pink Floyd, just better and all that, I think. I just, you know what I mean? I just. Weirdly, like, when I listen to Rush, which is not very often, or Yes, which again is not very often. It tends to be more the kind of poppier end of it, the Tom Sawyer's, the owner, the owner of a lonely heart, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And even with Pink Floyd, like the kind of the the weird, like the weirder shit from the wall, which is really quite weird. Yeah. Or you know, the more I guess you know the things you think about when you think about seventies prog. I think like Great Gig in the Sky or Money or something like that. You know, they're 
much more I think Stephen Wilson said it brilliantly when he, when he was talking about the dark side of the moon he's like it's progressive but it's not progressive it's in a prog rock way because it's so many other different types of music and I think so much of the shit that I heard from the 70s of yes Emerson Lake and Palmer I mean the first in the court of King Crimson I think is a fucking great record um, but I've never really gone in on much more than that and 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 even Gen- you know the kind of Peter Gabriel Genesis era I'm like Lamb Lies Down on Broadway and stuff I've never really been able to get into that I don't find that quite as sort of objectionable as I do something like Emerson Lake and Palmer but you know the capes and the dragon slaying and the 55 minute long songs and the the big moog synthesizers that they would like for fucking ages on i've just i i find it so such a turn off such a massive turn off yeah there's a little bit of uh um i had a, i had an idea of what emerson lake and palmer sounded like in my mind um because i kind of realized i haven't like the only song that i really recognized i just listened to the top five on um spotify as well just to to try and be like do i actually know any emerson lake and palmer the only one i knew was lucky man um which mm. is their biggest song by some way um i actually think that's a, a really great song um it's ruined by the last minute where um someone comes in with a synth and absolutely just jizzes all <laughs> over it uh absolutely awful um but but the song <laughs> itself is, is is really lovely i thought it was really nice um much better than anything on this record it must be said um but yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, we've done plenty of stuff about Pink Floyd in the past where it's become clear that I'm not a fan, even though that's bewildering, even for me. I find it's sort of weirdly bewildering. But it's clear that Pink Floyd went down these kind of progressive avenues with far more class, I would say, than Emerson, Lake and Palmer or, or any of that lot or fucking, I don't know, Richie Blackmore's whatever black knights whatever it's called i can't remember mm. that that kind of stuff yes i guess as well i'm i'm actually a fan of uh, like i like rush i don't love rush but i i do rush is kind of my um that's 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 the most i can take that stuff if that yeah. makes sense uh, i've got a couple of rush albums you know they're obviously a really good band yeah and that's the thing with a lot of this is you go like well you are obviously a really good band yeah. it's just yeah. stylistically I, I i i you know i struggle with it in the same way as i struggle with power metal yeah or yeah, yeah. even fucking emo rap or whatever like or do you know what i mean sort of modern pop punk I, sometimes you go like i mean we did it with cute is what we aim for it's like well i'm i'm just never gonna like this yeah, yeah, yeah doesn't necessarily mean it's bad so i think what we have to do here is kind of set out those parameters that we aren't gonna be like oh, i love this this is amazing i don't think in the same way as you know we might be about some of the records from genres that we actually like but you got to look at it from like well is this good for what it's meant to be and so i think that's where a lot of this chat will have to come um saying that though this is 1978 now we'll get into sort of the the sort of context around emerson lake and palmer in a minute but it must have been pretty fucking terrifying to be one of those bands in 1978 because this is the thing that everyone's shooting for now you've either got really from as i understand it the option of going disco or going punk Mm. or you're going to sound old as fuck and really which one of those things could emerson lake and palmer have leaned in on really like you look at kiss and you go well yeah obviously easy for them to go disco you look at a band like judas priest i know like those two bands are quite far away from emerson lake and palmer but judas priest you go well yeah you can be gritty enough to kind of take a bit of like the punk attitude kiss can be kind of spangly enough to take disco yeah look at emerson lake and palmer and you're like wow you're fucked well if you are fucked if you look at the cover of this album um someone's (laughs) dressed them to look disco um i would say thankfully there isn't really any i don't think there's any real disco on this album at all um it it, it is far more down the kind of like wanky prog avenue um but um yeah i mean i mean this album certainly compared to a lot of the albums that we've covered on this podcast it didn't do like awfully it did chart and it had a a reasonable placing of 48 in the uk album charts and number 55 Mm -hmm. on the us billboard 200 i don't think 
yeah, I'm sure Amazon Lake and Palmer did better with previous records. Um, with even without well, checking, I'm pretty convinced that they I, would have done. I'm about to tell you some ah. stats to sort of back up as to how big this band were. Oh well, let's say that. Um, but well, I was just going to say, like you know, you're kind of yeah, but you, you, it's some drop off. I mean, yeah. they were massive in the 70s. They were massive. They were huge. They formed in 1970, so obviously Emerson Lake and Palmer is Greg Lake, uh, vocals bassist guitarist and producer keith emerson on keyboards and carl palmer on drums and percussion um greg lake was obviously uh one of previously to this was a member of king crimson um who we've already mentioned and you know he actually uh it was it was him his desire to leave king crimson and set up a new band which was the kind of genesis of the band uh, they formed in 1970, and since 1970, they have racked up worldwide sales of 48 million records. Wow. 48 million records. In 1974, they headlined the California Jam Festival to a quarter of a million people. Wow. And maybe, most impressively of all, they're bigger than Muse. <laughs> <laughs> What one for patrons uh, <laughs> and long-time <laughs> listeners? Yeah, they are. They're actually bigger than Muse. Can you imagine? I it? can't. Oh, prog- I can't <laughs> imagine it. Muse are quite big. I mean, let's be Muse honest. are Muse big. Muse are big. Muse are big. Muse are definitely big. I mean, yeah, but I think. I mean, they probably at this point they're not. I don't think they're, if, if if these two bands were to go on tour together, I think you probably have to make Emerson, Lake, and Palmer open for Muse, wouldn't you? I I I. I'd like to think so. I think you, I think you would. I think just about yeah. I mean, we'll get into this stuff later, a little bit mm. later on. Um, but anyway, let's kind of cut to the show. Like they're big. Like by the mid seventies, Emerson Lake and Palmer are fucking big. They're like you know, Pink Floyd, Genesis. Yes, Emerson Lake and Palmer. That's prog. And then they're as big as the shit. Like you know, maybe not quite as big as something like the Eagles or Kiss or whatever. But like big. Big, big, big. The fucking Led Zeppelin, dinosaur, massive stadium rock bands. Emerson, Lake and Palmer are very much nestled in with those bands. In 1977, the band released two albums, obviously right in the middle of the punk explosion. Uh, They were called The Works 1 and 2. And they are, from what I can tell, having not listened to them, to be honest, as sort of high concept and fart sniffy as you can imagine um, a band <laughs> of their ilk to be. Um, the first album features adaptations of work by Bach and uh, Bach and Prokofiev. Pro- Prokofiev, you know that. Guy, oh right? yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, the yeah, composer. Yeah. The composers, yes. And the the song Fanfare of the Common Man from that album is actually the band's highest charting ever single. So it did pretty well. Uh, the second part of the record was made up of recordings they did from 1973 to 1976 and was less successful. But the band went out to tour the works. And initially, due to the kind of overblown orchestral nature of the record... Uh, they wanted to take an entire orchestra and choir out on the road with them. Now... They did do that, but they only did 18 dates with the choir and the orchestra because the Works 2 wasn't as commercially successful as Part 1 and the budgetary constraints came in with taking an entire orchestra and an entire choir out on tour with you across what was a 120-date tour Mm. proved to be that it was going to be quite a lot of money. Um, The last of those 120 dates, the final date, they did a show at the Olympic Stadium in Montreal in front of 78,000 people, which was later released as a live album. And they did get the orchestra and the choir back to play that show. Um, But by all accounts, on that tour, they lost $3 million on that tour. Wow. um, Much of which was due to the orchestra and the choir right at the start. And much of this was blamed on Keith Emerson by... Um, by Lake and Palmer as it was his idea to hire the orchestra so they're not in a particularly good frame of mind having had a second album of their two albums which hasn't hit commercially so well uh, and they've just lost three million quid on a tour where they should be making money essentially right I can kind of see where this is going Mm. I mean actually there's an echo of Pink Floyd here is there not 
little bit, yeah. Just I mean, a, quite a, a big small, echo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, mm. there's, there's, there's echoes so. of po- oh, ah, Pink Floyd. That's one of their albums, Renfrey. Ella. Mm, we know something about Pink Floyd. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so after that, the band decided they wanted to take a break. Um, but due to losing that money, they were told by Amit Ertigan of Atlantic Records. He's the guy who um, Led Zeppelin reformed for to pay cel- uh, tribute to on the Celebration uh, DVD or the Celebration show Day. at the O2. O- yeah, yeah, Celebration Day. Yeah. Um, back in the mid-noughties after he passed away and they did that, that tribute concert to him. Mm. So Amit Ertigan is a big deal, uh, like founder of Atlantic Records. And he basically said to the band, no, <laughs> no you are going to have to go and make us another record. Mm. And not only do you owe us another record, which we insist you make, um, you might want to consider making a more commercial record than you've been putting out recently. Mm. I believe that was the conversation that was being had between Emerson, Lake and Palmer and their record label. This is not something which Keith Emerson was very keen to do, but Ertigan, who isn't coming across as a particularly nice guy at this point no. said to him that if you don't do that then we won't let you do any future solo albums <clears> from <throat> the various members if you don't work together on a new album um now i mean the music business the, the clues in the name isn't it it's a business mm. um is amit ertigan being a bit of a cunt here or is he just protecting his business as a good boss should what do you think Renfrey because there are echoes of other things that we've spoken about in here my mind initially goes to Neil Young um, and the shocking pinks mm-hmm. um, which we had that conversation about how Neil Young kind of trolled his record label when they sort of told him what to do mm-hmm. so there's a bit of that going on here like on the label side anyway at, at the start what are your just to recap I guess what are your thoughts on on, on that kind of approach well I kind of feel like you should leave the creativity in a what is ostensibly a talent agent a talent kind of business thing to the creative types to the people who are making the music you know and um I can under I can understand why the business people would want to protect their interests so to speak and uh and um put it all on on a number that they think is more likely to yield results. Um, but I don't think that's a recipe for making good music necessarily. And so Love Beach proves, <laughs> I, I would say, <laughs> yeah. you know, so. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't think anyone, you know, should we blame Ertigan for this album being in here? I, I don't think it's entirely his fault at all. Um, no. Well, no, it definitely no, isn't. no, but but um, yeah, but I think do you not think he can take some responsibility? I think, yeah. I mean, I guess it's it's a tough one, isn't it? Because the record industry was quite different back then, and you made money from albums mm. um, as opposed to making money from tours. But you know, I don't. I, I think you know that they would have looked at a commercially unsuccessful in relative terms i mean i believe the works too does far better than love beach does so it's all kind of blown up in everybody's face but if you've been you know since 1970 like slogging away and then you put out two albums in a year and then you do 120 dates with an orchestra and a choir you probably would need a little bit of time to rest and recuperate yeah. and chill out and to be told that no, 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 you can't do that. What you have to do is go and make a record. And not only do you have to make a record, you have to make a record, which is not what you are known for. Mm. You have to kind of lean in on the, the more kind of commercial side of whatever that is that, that you do. Mm. Um, the the guy who's most pissed off about this is Keith Emerson, by all accounts, yeah. who kind of relented but basically left all the writing to Greg Lake because Greg Lake had actually been more successful at writing the more commercially minded material from their back catalogue. And, of course, in 1975, they had a massive smash hit with the Christmas song, I believe, in Father Christmas, which still get plays 
a lot mm-hmm. all the time and is a good song mm-hmm. um just say something nice about one of the members of this band yeah. but i think like at this point like many of their sort of gargantuan prog rock dinosaur 70s peers um they were they were in a sort of on a bit of a hiding to nothing and they also were uh to to um to pick up on your Pink Floyd point as well, Renfrey, they were tax exiles as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Mm. So they were living in the Bahamas at the point at this point, and you'd think probably if you were living in the Bahamas and you'd just done a hundred twenty eight tour with two blokes that you don't really like, mm. you probably wouldn't really want to go and make a kind of happy commercial album with those two people, would you? No, I don't think that would be the mood that you would be in after those circumstances. No. But that's what they did. They went and they recorded in the Bahamas, where, as I said, Lake and Emerson were living at the time. Um, they went into the studio with no producer, although Greg Lake had actually produced the band in the past, so it wasn't really a, a problem. Uh, if you get an early pressing of the record, there is no produ- production credit mm. on the record, by all accounts. Um, although in the years since, Emerson has been given the production credit on the record. Um, uh, he was in the middle of... I mean, again, like I, I feel like he's kind of the guy here who is having the worst time of it because he was in the middle of a serious drug habit habit that was making him increasingly difficult to work with. So the record was sort of compromised a bit from the start. And also you have to factor in the addition of Peter Sinfield. Are you aware of Peter Sinfield as an individual run free? Only from the minor bit of research I've done for this. I didn't know of him beforehand. Okay, so Peter Sinfield is uh, the the founder of King Crimson. He's a poet and a lyricist. Uh, he was brought on board late in the day just to write lyrics with Greg Lake. Mm. Now, as I mentioned at the start, Greg Lake previously was in King Crimson and then he wanted out and he left and he started this. So those two gentlemen previously have had their issues with each other. Mm. Um, but the band's management thought that enough time had passed between emerson lake and palmer starting and greg lake not being in king crimson anymore that he they were like oh they'll have settled their differences it'll be fine um when peter sinfield arrived he found that the members of the band were not speaking to each other at all and decided that he didn't really want to work with the band so he requested to just be left alone and due to the limited amount of time they had to write record and release the record he was like i just need to get this shit done leave me alone i'll write you some lyrics away from everyone mm. and then do what the fuck you want with them sort of thing mm. um and of course obviously the album does end up taking a far more commercial direction as requested uh carl palmer uh, was reviewed by louder the um the kind of umbrella of the metal hammer prog rock prog uh prog classic rock mm. arm um when they reissued all of the emerson lake and palmer albums a few years back and he was asked about this album. Not only did he say, I can't believe we called a prog album Love Beach. <laughs> well, we'll discuss whether or not this is really a prog album in a little bit. Um, but he also said, had this to say about the recording of the record. He said, it was very laid back. If you wanted one more album out of us at that point, the business people probably thought it was the only way it was going to happen. I'm surprised it's not more reggae sounding because that could easily have happened. Oh, well, that would have been good. Um, yeah. Especially given... I mean, like, small mercies, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. I mean... We don't have, like, a shaggy song, a 20-minute, like, shaggy song with a fucking Moog synthesizer <laughs> solo in the middle of it. I mean, they do manage to throw in a few culturally uh, inappropriate things anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> But yeah, we'll move on yes, to that. Yes, they do. Yeah, we certainly will. Um, so anyway, the material was written, the lyrics were written. It was all kind of structurally compromised, pretty much. It was written to be more commercial. Um, after completing their their parts, Lake and Palmer fucked off and just left Emerson to complete the production and construction of the record alone. Um, he then just sent it into Atlantic. And with such a lax attitude uh, of making the album, it's probably no shock that the album turned out the way it did. And Emerson himself, when he got the album back, was fucking furious by all accounts. Absolutely furious because of the way that it looked. He bemoaned the album title, didn't actually choose the album title themselves. And the cover, where the three men look like the Bee Gees on an episode of Miami Vice, <laughs> he hated it. Um, yeah. He hated it so much oh, shit. that he 
Yeah, yeah, no shit. He hated it so much that he actually arranged to have a booth set up in an airport in Chicago with a questionnaire for people about the album who gave their thoughts and feelings on the album's cover and title. Yeah. What kind of world are we living in? Like, the 70s, ladies and gentlemen. There's like, the idea that a band can go, I'm going to set up a booth. Like, it's like you just do, you do a Twitter poll these won't, days. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely <laughs> mad. Yeah, no, I like I, I, I found this out. This tickled me as you can hear um reading about this. Yeah, I, I, I think that is absolutely insane. And kinda sad as well. Like if he if he said, Oh, I'm in this band and uh, the record company wants to call it this but I don't want to call it that, like I'd feel quite sorry for this guy if I you know, if I if he approached me and asked to do this questionnaire. I probably wouldn't have done it and i would have agreed that it's a terrible title and a terrible terrible album well cover. M- most people did do that yeah. and that led <laughs> that led to keith emerson marching <laughs> proudly into the offices of atlantic records and showing his findings <laughs> <laughs> to paper. the member yeah, to the to the record label who just went what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> We're not changing it. <laughs> look, though, look. I've done a poll. I've done a poll. I've, these people have filled out a questionnaire. Their voices deserve to be heard. They've just gone, no, no, we're doing it. Like, no, we're, we're doing it anyway. Um, uh, there is, again, another uh, another interview um, with, uh, <laughs> with Carl Palmer. And then he says... I think it's the package that it kind of that it kind of comes in. The most off-putting thing was that with ELP, we were basically looked at, looked upon as three very austere guys. You know, back in those days, if you were photographed smiling and laughing, it didn't work. It was quite a long time before you saw the Beatles laughing. I think basically the package that Love Beach was put into, which had the three of ELP on the cover looking like the Bee Gees and having a good laugh, that was shock and horror. Um, I mean, firstly... The Beatles had split up before you put your first album out, you mad yeah. fuck. So I don't know what the fuck I, that's got to do with anything. Very puzzling, yeah. Secondly, the Beatles were actually pretty... Jolly, funny, jolly and happy. Pretty jolly, like jaunty, funny band. Yeah. Um, uh, and thirdly, I suppose most kind of pertinently to get away from the Beatles point, is that this is a bit like the Black Flag album cover again, isn't it? I mean, it's mad <laughs> that the packaging of an album can be such a fucking death knell for a band yeah people listen with their eyes a lot i mean i know we, we, we've had conversations before and you said oh if a band are good then they're, they're, but i that people really do listen with their eyes a fucking hell of a lot they yeah. they, no, they really do yeah and it was kind of fucked from the moment you saw you know three tom Selleck's in fucking magnum pi on the front cover like i mean the the the, the it's a ridiculous the cover is ridiculous isn't it it's absolutely completely ridiculous yeah it's they look so stupid it, it's it is absolutely stupid um i kind of feel like <laughs> but who cares but, you know, i feel like fine. emerson lake and palmer should be more embarrassed than black flag because they're actually on the cover in question <laughs> yeah. they do look funny like you know they look they just look they look like 70s men don't they well, trying to look yes, cool. Yes, they do. They look like Fred Durst. Topical. Fred Durst. Oh, have you not? Oh yeah, Fred. Have you not seen I have Fred's seen new look? Fucking hell. I like it. I, I rate that. I think it's great. Actually, yeah, a bit of a detour. Um, but I think it's great. Like they're a cartoonish mm. band, and Wes Borland's been doing it for ages. And like, you can now compare Fred Durst to Maynard James Keenan. Weirdly, like because it's the yeah, same sort of thing as that. I, I think it's great. It works. You know. Mm. anyway it kind of <laughs> fuck, kind of fucked the i mean it kind of fucked the record a little bit um and you know at this point let's be honest nobody wanted to like emerson lake and palmer because punk rock and disco were the things prog rock wasn't so let's go into some of the reviews there's not many that you can find from the time unfortunately but i did find the rolling stone review who absolutely savaged it saying love beach isn't simply bad it's downright pathetic 
stale and full of ennui this album makes washing the dishes seem a more creative act by comparison greg lake contributes a handful of tediously standardized song forms while taking his three chord arias and bel canto blues as haughtily as though he was singing lyrics by giuseppe verdi not peter sinfield keith emerson delivers another ripoff from the classics and a sidelong ballad reduced to being a session player in his own band the latter's accompaniments now sound like advertising jingles Emerson's new Meisterwork, Memoirs of an Officer and a Gentleman, is more interesting than Pirates, but only because its composer has elected to work out the timbre changes in his keyboards rather than employ an elephantine orchestra again. Melodically, the tune is as vague as it is pompous. Harmonically, it's a heap of sterile romantic cliches. I bet you can hear echoes of the ELP of old simply means that Emerson hasn't learned or borrowed a new riff in five years. Once more, Sinfield's lyrics are, as <laughs> are a grotesque embarrassment, probably accounting for Lake's wooden demeanour. Um, it got one and a half stars from all music um it got one out of ten in classic rock and the only other review i could find for it was from a website called sea of tranquility which gave it three out of five wow and appears to be the only publication or website or magazine or person on planet earth who doesn't fucking hate this record (laughs) and says Overall, Love Beach really isn't as terrible as it's first perceived, as roughly half the songs are actually quite good. Yes, the inclusion of a few generic pop tracks brings it down a little bit, but the album is still worthwhile for those handful of strong compositions that carry on the classic ELP sound. Perhaps it was the album cover with the band standing on the Bahamas beach with their shirts open that scared everyone more. It's a good point. Certainly not the image we come to expect of ELP, but looking back, it's not the disaster of an album that we all thought. Some interesting insight into the making of the album, including the booklet, and overall, a nice presentation of a much maligned album. Good to find somebody that likes it. Um, As you said, Renfrey, it peaked at number 48 in the UK and number 55 in the US. It did sell half a million copies in the US still. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's not a lot for them, I guess. But that's... Back in the day. No, but... That's still reasonably good sales, you know, mm-hmm. that's okay. 60,000 60, in the UK? Not as good, but, you know. Not as good? Not an absolute disaster either, I would say. No, I would say not. That would keep them in um, trips to the Bahamas for a little <laughs> while, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, especially all that money they're uh, saving from not paying Siphoning tax. Siphoning away. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good for them. Ugh. Uh, anyway, so there you go. There's not a lot of context surrounding the record, but um there's a little sort of snippet as to how much this record is disliked but really what i want to know is renfrey what do you think of love beach by emerson lake and palmer um i find quite a lot of it pretty inoffensive if i'm totally honest i think most like a large dollop of it just sort of passes me by and there's this weird kind of 70s doctor who theme synthy prog wig out that's happening in the background in my periphery the periphery of my hearing and it doesn't particularly offend me there's usually points where the synth comes in and goes absolutely apoplectically crazy where i go bloody hell that's a bit much um and i also think the other point that the record really kind of shakes me out of my stupor and makes me go jesus christ this is awful is the lyrics um i'm mainly Hmm. talking about one song Mm -hmm. i don't think the lyrics are good on any of these do you want to shall we go into tol and right now steve are you okay with that now Uh, yeah (laughs) taste of love um what could we be talking about here um the the i mean the lyrics are unbelievable This is like, right, this song, musically, this song is like if a kid's TV program decided to create a band that were based on Pink Floyd, <laughs> yeah. right? They're sort of like if, if 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 Biker Grove made a sort of Pink Floyd band, they'd sound like this. But lyrically, I mean, call up room service for my peaches and cream. I prefer my dessert first, if you know what I mean. I'm afraid I know exactly what you mean. And I now have to cut my genitals off <laughs> as a result of knowing what you mean. It even has that little bit of Chinese, that dun, 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 yeah. dun, which was absolutely fine to do that in the 70s, wasn't it? Absolutely fine to just know like, for no reason. 
I mean, the, this is the third song, and it's the first song where I... I mean, I haven't really liked anything that happened before, but the first song where I was like, Jesus, this is really bad. I really love you. Climb on my rocket and we'll fly, he says. And then it fades out as well. Fucking awful. <laughs> Fucking awful. It's terrible. Uh, I, it's so bad. I want to hold you and enfold you beyond reason. Uh, which doesn't really make sense. This is an absolute classic line. I want to dynamite your mind with love tonight. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you have brought a guy in and he, all he does is write the lyrics. Yeah, and this is what he's come up with. <laughs> it's, it's, this is what he's come up with. Can you imagine if this is like you're a bus driver. All you've got to do is drive a bus and you just walk up to the bus and you flamethrower the bus and walk away. Oh, <laughs> uh, finished for the day this is not what we asked you to do mate no. this is not part of your job description it's at all i work uh, in an ice cream parlor i walk in i piss on the ice cream i pour anthrax on it and then i walk out <laughs> that is peter sinfield on this record you got one job mate one fucking job to write some lyrics and you've come up with that can unbelievable you make, can you make any sense of this stanza whatsoever go down gently with your face to the east that's when the da, 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 bit comes in unbelievable hell. yeah the, the sun may be rising but we haven't finished the beast is the beast this man's genitalia is that what he means? almost certainly <laughs> almost certainly almost certainly i would say there's a 97% chance that he's talking about <laughs> It's not um it's not quite bloodlines level of like reprehensible filth I don't think but it is a little bit um uh it's a little bit it's too force- much forceful <laughs> it's <laughs> too know? much yeah it's a bit much yeah I, I don't it's, think it's, they it's sending a dick pic on your first Tinder message is what it is. <laughs> that's, that's the modern equivalent. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just writing DTF and then sending a picture of your cock. <laughs> that's what it is. Yes. To yeah. someone who specifically said, don't do that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> it's really, 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 really awful, this song really quite unfathomably awful it's what terrible. were you what were you thinking this is your idea of commercial music is it uh, are you asking me you're th- no no you're i'm being... asking i'm asking emerson making palmer this is your idea of commercial music is it and maybe it was in the 70s i don't know maybe it was it feels quite misjudged to me i mean it's it, like, very misjudged it's not romantic is it down on your knees with your face to the wall saying please 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 my friend said i should call (laughs) (laughs) what the fuck is it's not romantic it's not romantic and it makes me think that peter sinfield has never spoken to a girl before (laughs) if your face is ever to the wall that's not romantic lovemaking no that's 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 Banging. I mean, I, I think that, that yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you're right. I mean, it's horrible, but you're right. I mean, I'm going to get through because there's a few things on here that I really hate. So, like, all I want is a twee little sort of poppy opener. It's got a kind of Phil Collins funny yeah. Genesis, Genesis thing to it, but just not as catchy. Fine, but inoffensive. I, I think mm. that was relatively inoffensive. Yeah. It's fine. The right. title track immediately reminded me of the Eagles, which I personally don't mind, but prog fans are right nerds and they're not going to like that at all. So I get right. that. It's also got a bit of prog synth over the top of it towards the end. I was like, lads. Um, the Gambler is sort of bluesy rock and roll thing. It's not terrible, but again, it's not good. And I yeah. do think prog fans would go mad about that. Mm-hmm. And they do channel the spirit of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Bland original soundtrack on the keyboard solo as well which i just imagined frank i just kept expecting frankie howard to pop up at any minute and go oh, no, no, no. just really really cheap and uh shite sounding for you i just found quite boring to be honest yeah. quite a boring song dull ballad and then you sort of think well you've had one absolute stench bomb in the middle of like a pretty kind of not so great album yeah you're getting away with it <laughs> and then yeah and then they drop the ball 
quite considerably, I would say, Renfrew, <laughs> the last couple of tracks. You get Funny, the kind yes. of rush or yes, proggy, typical thing of Canario, which is a guitar concerto composed by the Spanish uh, composer Joaquim Rodrigo. And fucking hell, this is what those cunts rem- like. This is what those cunts want in it. This kind of flouncy like shit nerdy cheap sounding pompous wank it is fucking unbearable this i i really this is this is everything that i was talking about at the start absolute guff turd bobbins ball baggery of the highest order rubbish it's a pretty prime example of um what punk was trying to kill and successfully did um yeah. uh and, and i think that context is important for this record this is released 1978 so a year after the punk boom um and there's going to be a you know a lot of people who would have just suddenly turned off this stuff completely and utterly and gone no punk is the way forward now or disco i suppose um yeah. and this just probably seemed very very out of date overnight uh you know despite the reasonable sales like like th- those aren't terrible terrible sales but they're not good for this band either so no. it just sort of shows how the tide had turned and obviously mm-hmm. it sort of um uh it, it was the, it was the beginning of the end for the band as well as yeah uh, and this is just i mean it's just it's it's just shit it's shit i think it's shit i don't even think it's not clever it's not even particularly well played it sounds bad like i mean Mm. this thing again when you listen to the guitar tone of dave gilmore on animals or you know on on the dark side of the moon and you go well look i mean look you can moan about it being over blown or pompous or whatever you want to do it sounds great this sounds rubbish this is like somebody thinking they're clever because they have forced their scrotum into their anus i don't (laughs) i don't think you are you've just been fiddling around with something that you shouldn't have been fiddling around with you're not a genius like it's absolute shit this is it's just it's shit and the last song memoirs of an officer and a gentleman now I guess there are parts of this which is quite well made. Yeah, I'd say. I so. guess yeah. I think it's quite. I mean, it's kind of well made, isn't it? But it is really boring. It's yeah. really long, and I don't want to listen to it. And that's again, I think it's probably a taste thing. But it is. Um, it, it is uh, apparently a concept piece that tells a story of a romance between a soldier and his fiance during the Second World War, um, which I didn't get at all to be perfectly honest i mean maybe i wasn't listening that hard but i thought it was sort of like well played up until the last two minutes which i thought was frankly unbearable loads of oh. twee whistling shite which it's horrible did not did not need to be in there whatsoever no. i mean you're looking at a song which is what fucking i mean it's longer than pretty much the rest of the album put together. it's 20 minutes long it's 20 minutes and 12 seconds that song and it's like four parts essentially yeah I think I think the thing that I was really unimpressed with was was the fact that like lyrically um you can put the four sections together or the three sections together because the last part is actually instrumental. Um but it, they didn't flow together in any way shape or form. They are essentially four different tracks except they've just been put into one track because there's a lyrical theme that runs throughout. But it didn't like yeah, well, that don't impress me much. You know, I'm far more impressed by like if you if you could manage to make the music run into each other as well, but also have changes as it goes on. I actually don't mind it when it starts. I'm not like thrilled by it, but I don't mind it. It's when they go into the really wanky, proggy instrumental stuff. I mean, you said two minutes. It felt like about six to me. It was oh, horrible. God, it just fucking. It was horrible. Awful. Yeah. Yeah. Rubbish. Yeah, just, just rubbish. I mean, look, this album is either totally background wallpaper, sort of nothing, or utter bum. And it is weird to me how I think this kind of does sound like the sort of cheesy, bloated prog music that I've never really responded to. And yet, to fans of that music, this is an unbelievable, absurd spit in the face, like a commercial, you know, grotesque commercial record. 
and I'm just like, well, there's loads of rubbish, boring prog crap on here that you lot like. Like, I don't really get why. I mean, I, I get why you'd go, this isn't very good, but not for the reasons of it not being like a proper prog album. Like, I don't get it. I think I th- I think that's where the timing thing comes in, though. It just had become unfashionable, hadn't it? I mean, I would imagine that the, this probably is, you know, quality-wise, I imagine it probably is one of Emerson, Lake and Palmer's weakest records. Um, I, you know, I can't really say that one way or another because I've not listened to any of their other records, but I can see this just from the other songs that I know. I'm like, yeah, I can imagine this is probably their weakest. Mm. But it isn't like... It has horrendous moments on it, but as an album as a whole, I reckon it's about 40 minutes, 42 minutes, something like that in total. I reckon I probably am perfectly fine with 25 minutes of this record. Like, I don't love it, but I don't mind it being in the background. I'm probably the same. I think it's either totally fine or just dire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... But, but you know, I know this thing wasn't cool anymore. But when you the, the fan reaction to it, like I looked at a few of the fan reactions to sort of the, the reviews and stuff, and they're like, "Oh, they made a pop album," and it's like, "Well, this is not a pop." Like, if, yeah. if you you know, this is the the problem with fans of that music is like, this is not a pop album. I mean, no. yeah, I get it. There's a few songs on there that are a bit more straightforward. There are a few things, but it still has the elements of prog rock in it. And there's certainly, from like from my personal taste, way too many elements of of that anyway um yes but you know, not, I, I guess mean, again that's a taste thing i i think um mm. there's far more um there's far more mileage in the fact that the future bites by stephen wilson is a pop album than a prog album but uh, th- then this. yes yeah oh yeah I would, of course I would argue. yeah so. i mean that that shows yeah that shows up that sort of thinking yeah, completely. I think, and, 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 but, an but also, I think that Stephen Wilson's the, "The Future Bites" is a more progressively minded album. Might not be a prog album, but it's a more progressive album. Yeah, yeah, this because yeah, this is just like there's more, a bit more of that stuff, and some sort of pretty bog standard three minute rock songs within, within the context. Within a, yeah, within the context of Stephen Wilson's career, absolutely. Yeah, yeah mm. absolutely, it's mm. more progressive. Uh, before we go to rank it, just to kind of finish up on Emerson, Lake and Palmer, Keith Emerson called the album an embarrassment of everything I've ever worked for. Sure. Uh, and the band <laughs> have since declared that it was a contractual agreement that they felt, felt they had to fulfill. Uh, they did intend to go and tour the record, but they were in such a mood with each other and with, <laughs> and with the record that they did not do that. A lot of it, apparently, was because they couldn't on, agree on what songs they would play or how they would play them. Oh, Hmm. which is quite interesting okay um and in the end emerson lake and palmer just kind of fizzled out they did a bunch of stuff with the likes of uh cozy pal in the 1980s but it wasn't actually until 1992 that the original lineup released another album after they were formed in 1991 that album black moon and it's 1994 follow-up in the hot seat were the last things that band ever put out in the hot seat is the only other album that i can see that from their career fans would consider as bad as love beach um, I was going to say I I uh, maybe I maybe I spoke too soon when I said that this is probably the worst um album that they've done because yes I have heard similar sort of vitriol against that record as well but um you know certainly like I'm sure this is probably no prayer for the dying isn't it rather than, you know <laughs> yeah maybe yeah 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 um in regards to the uh the actual breakup uh the actual breakup um Greg Lake did say it wasn't like one of those breakups where there was a lot of mudslinging and bitterness. We all just felt simultaneously like we'd been pushed too far. We could sense it. And rather than go back and keep flogging it purely for commercial reasons, it just didn't feel right. It was one of those things. You'd have to have been there at the time, but you could have felt it. Nobody was that keen to play. And I think when you see that and when you listen to the record, this is the thing, isn't it? They were pushed into doing this record. Pushed into doing it and they did it and it was rubbish. And they knew it was rubbish. The label probably knew it was rubbish. Nobody liked it. They don't like it. They're fessed up. It's crap. We don't like it. We didn't tour it. We split up instead. We probably should have just split up. Hmm. And they did. And so, you know, albums like this do happen. And Emerson, Lake and Palmer are an incredibly successful band. They're not a band who I am a fan of, as I think I've probably proven throughout this podcast. But I'm not going to sit here and throw shit and throw shade at them as an artist in the same way as I would methods of mayhem or broken side for just being kind of reprehensible because yeah, absolutely ev- 
every band makes an album which isn't really very good and they were kind of i guess forced into doing an album they didn't want to do it didn't work out and they split up Mm. fine that's how it goes um the band played a 40th anniversary show at victoria park at the high voltage festival in 2010 do you remember the high voltage festival renfrey do you ever go to that i do i think i was at that date but i wasn't interested at all in emerson lake and palmer unsurprisingly Mm. and i was watching um clutch opeth and down instead i think it was the same day seems like a better time oh god so so much better yeah um i I think it was the same day i don't know i'll be corrected if it wasn't but you know Mm. like yeah yeah it was around that time yeah um obviously i said if the band were to go out on tour with muse kind of ridiculous obviously the band can't (laughs) go out on tour with muse because both keith keith emerson and greg lake died in 2016 um kind of nine months apart from each other so uh that obviously can't happen um that and and also i don't think they would have gone out on tour with muse no (laughs) but uh but we've we've you know that they're that's the end of the story um as is so there you go yeah emerson lake and palmer love beach um it's not a good album but then i think they'd agree with us and go yeah you're right it's not a good album um but where do we place it in our list renfrey do you think um this is a tricky one i think it is a bit isn't it yeah i think this is a hard one um but i am sort of centering around and hovering around just maybe because you mentioned it earlier black flag i'm wondering if it's a similar sort of thing in that this is a band who'd had a career where you know they were celebrated and they were obviously very popular and very good at the thing that they did or certainly there was a lot of fans who enjoyed them and this is just a bad record that they released isn't it and actually they released it under um i wouldn't say similar circumstances but they didn't they weren't like super keen to work on it and release it and all that sort of thing you know so there's kind of sim there's similarities there yeah so i'm kind of wondering i mean black flag what the is at number 24 um then we've got I Madonna, think be- american life yeah I, I, I think because i like black flag more than i like emerson lake and palmer even though i think that black flag is fucking dreadful i do think i'd probably put black flag just because i like just i mean this is unfortunately where taste comes into it a little bit and i think i mean that thing is that black flag album is fucking dreadful there's kind of pretty much no redeeming features about that black flag record at all there's there's nothing lyrically which is as eyebrow raising as um uh, that's taste true. my love though so i've that actually been quite happy to put it um are you suggesting 24 is that where between, black flag currently yeah. sit between the enemy between the and... enemy and black yeah between yeah i think flag. so i mean i do obviously like <laughs> has anyone ever done this before who do you like we'll do a twitter poll who do you like more emerson lake of palmer or black flag that seems like a really fucking weird what a weird thing to like i mean this is why this podcast is weird (laughs) because we now have to go what's better the worst black flag album or the worst (laughs) (laughs) album? (laughs) a band who we love shitting on their own legacy and a band we don't care about shitting on their own (laughs) legacy and who, who, who couldn't be more stylistically different if they tried um but but i obviously like black flag more than i like emerson lake and palmer and yes i think even despite the kind of absolutely i think there are probably moments on this where i am less offended because i just don't care about emerson lake and palmer it never got me going oh why are you doing this whereas pretty much the entirety of black flag what the i was like oh why are you doing this but that again is my taste i think probably what the is a better record particularly when you chucking peter simfield's fucking pervy love pump nonsense that's 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 on here so i think i'm with you mate i think i'm with you i'm happy to put emerson lake and palmer in between uh the enemy streets in the sky and he said the streets enemy in the sky then um yeah so we'll put it in there in between black flag and the streets the streets the enemy fucking hell not the streets oh my god i'm i'm you're fucking i've lost lost my fucking mind from listening to this record love beach there it goes let me get another album out and fucking end this crap before i start saying something else about mike skinner comes around and beats me up uh i've got 
got one in my hand i'm hoping it's going to be a good one let's turn it over and have a little look ah oh, uh oh god uh neon twang by the twang oh great the twang my mate likes the twang and i now can't take anything he says seriously <laughs> <laughs> but there you go uh there you go next week we're gonna back to the bloody mid noughties for free to talk about indie music indie landfill is yeah. back it's been a little while hasn't it since we've had an indie landfill record was razor like the last one razor light probably was the last oh, wow oh the, mm. the, the vines count i suppose oh. that's a, mm. uh, yeah. sort of it's yeah. shit music for twats in the noughties so on that level very much so. absolutely yeah yeah uh but anyway there's some more shit music for twats coming next week the twang neon twang anyway thank you very much for listening cheers to you we will be back next week talking about that hope you've enjoyed this one i mean i've got to be honest i haven't really but um <laughs> it was my idea what a fucking idiot it's see you later it's been all right it's been fine <laughs>